Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisulu Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, Kenyan Supreme Court to hear a case seeking delay of election rerun ECOWAS says political situation in Togo could descend into a civil war and South Africa's President Jacob Zuma meets his Senegalese counterpart Macky Sall. In economics news, South Africa's finance minister to deliver his maiden budget speech today and in sports news, Nigeria's super eagles to face Argentina in Russia. But first up, the news with Dan Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musar. The Supreme Court in Kenya will hold a last-minute hearing to decide whether to rerun the country's presidential election or not. The court will hear an urgent petition to have the vote cancelled a day before it's supposed to take place. Haran Ndubi is the advocate who's presenting the petition. My clients are Kenyan voters. More than that, they are civil society uh, human rights defenders. Some people in government think that having any election is a good thing. We have had a history of bad elections. Election is going to be illegal. That is going to be a replica, if not worse, of the previous election. Meanwhile, Kenyan police are investigating a gun attack on the bodyguard of the Deputy Chief Justice Philomona Mwilu. The bodyguard was shot as he bought plans for Mwilu in Nairobi. The Deputy Chief Justice, who was among the Supreme Court judges who nullified the August 8th elections results, was not in the car at the time of the attack. The attack comes hours before the Supreme Court sits to hear petitions seeking to cancel Thursday's presidential elections. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma's executive powers will remain under the spotlight in the High Court in the so-called State Capture Review case. President Zuma is seeking to challenge the remedial actions of former public protector Tulima Donsela's State of Capture report on the grounds that she did not have powers to instruct the head of state. Madonsela recommended that President Zuma establish a commission of inquiry to be headed by a judge to further investigate allegations of state capture. On Tuesday, lawyers representing respondents in the case argued that the powers could be fitted. Advocate Dalumpofu has been representing uh, the COPE and UDM parties. This idea, that very, very mistaken idea, that if power is exclusive, therefore it means that it's unfettered. That is absolutely uh, not the case. We don't have an absolute monarchy. People colloquially use the word prerogative uh, in the streets. That's fine. A prerogative is what based on the divine right of rule of queens and kings to rule because apparently they are second only to God. But in a constitutional state, nobody 
whether you are the president, the public protector, whoever, can exercise unfettered powers. The powers go with a duty. Sadek in Africa's Great Lakes region, countries are expected to lobby against cutting down the United Nations Organization Stabilization Mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo, known as MONUSCO. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, is visiting UN operations in Ethiopia, South Sudan, and the DRC this week. South Africa's Defense Minister, Nosivuema Pisangakula, represented Sadek at a meeting with the Great Lakes region in the DRC last week. She gives her views on the UN's DRC mission. And one of the observations which we made as uh, some of the ministers were there as we were talking to the head of state was that the sad thing is that uh, everybody is calling on the strengthening of the force intervention brigade in view of the nature of the negative forces we are engaging. But on the other side, the United Nations Security Council is talking about cutting down the budget of MONUSCO, not only cutting down the budget of MONUSCO, but also cutting down the numbers. And finally, two Republican senators have made strong public attacks on U.S. President Donald Trump, accusing him of damaging American democracy and lowering the country's standing abroad. Jeff Flake, who represents Arizona, says he will not seek re-election. He is severely critical of Trump. Reckless, outrageous and undignified behavior has become excused and countenanced as telling it like it is. And when such behavior emanates from the top of our government, it is dangerous to a democracy. Such behavior does not project strength because our strength comes from our values. It instead projects a corruption of the spirit and weakness. Earlier, Senator Bob Corker from Tennessee, who is also standing down, called Trump an utterly untruthful leader. That's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. Three Kenyan voters have filed a case in the country's Supreme Court seeking to stop repeat presidential elections on Thursday. In another development, police fired dozens of tear gas canisters to disperse thousands of opposition supporters demonstrating in various parts of Kenya to force the Independent Electoral Commission to resign. James Shimangula has more. The three Kenyan voters have told the country's Supreme Court that the current atmosphere is not conducive for elections to be held. They argue that the Independent Electoral Commission, which organizes and supervises the election, is, as they put it, serving partisan interests. They also argue that the Electoral Commission chairman, Wafula Chebukati, has publicly admitted that he cannot guarantee credible election. The voters told the court that the opposition leader, Raila Odinga, whose petition nullified the re-election of President Uru Kenyatta, is not taking part in the election. The voters further point out that the Electoral Commission is not prepared for the election, which is to be held on the 26th of this month, following the Supreme Court's order. A lawyer representing the three voters is Harun Ndube, who explains what he wants the Supreme Court to do. To 
vacate the election schedule for 26th and direct the commission to conduct an election under the law uh, which would be an election as if it was an election held on 8th of August. This fear that by 31st we will have no government is, uh, is false fear, it's unfounded because the constitution says the president in office will hand over power when the next president is elected and there is a process of how this election is going to be conducted. If the Supreme Court agreed with us tomorrow, which we hope they will, the election would have to be conducted within 90 days of the date of that decision. That was Harun Indobi representing three voters who have gone to the Supreme Court seeking to have the October 26th election postponed due to the fact that the Electoral Commission is not prepared to hold the election. Meanwhile, demonstrations have been held in Kenya to push for the removal of the Electoral Commission from office. The demonstrations took place after opposition leader Raila Odinga asked his supporters to stage protests. In Nairobi, the demonstrators were dispersed by police after tear gas canisters were fired at them. In Kisumu, on the shores of Lake Victoria, west of Nairobi, demonstrations were held peacefully. For the first time, the demonstrations in Kisumu, one of Odinga's strongholds, were staged right in front of the offices of the Electoral Commission. Speaking on behalf of Raila Odinga, lawyer James Orengo brought to light this point regarding the opposition's stand to continue holding demonstrations up to the election day. We are going to go on in exercise of the sovereignty of the people of Kenya to continue to express our disagreement with the Electoral Commission in its decision to continue with the elections on the 26th of October. And to that effect, since the right to demonstrate is a constitutional right and cannot be limited, we have given a notice of these demonstrations, in fact, through a legal firm. As we have done today and as we'll do tomorrow, these demonstrations are going to that was Kenyan opposition lawyer James Orengo speaking on behalf of seasoned opposition chief Raila Odinga. In another development, the former South African president Thabo Mbeki is in Kenya to lead a team of the African Union election observers during the October 26th repeat presidential election. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Reports from Zimbabwe say at least 10 Movement for Democratic Change activities were brutally attacked last weekend in Chitungwiza, southeast of Harare. The attacks took place while the opposition activists were on a door-to-door biometric voter registration, a new system the country is employing for 2018 polls. Simon Muchema has more from Harare. Human rights activists in Zimbabwe have raised concerns. Political violence could be on the increase following some skirmishes that left at least 10 seriously injured over the weekend. Doma Kaliati and nine more from Chitungwiza, 25 kilometers southeast of the capital, were over the weekend brutally attacked by suspected ZANU-PF supporters during some door-to-door voter registration campaign. Kaliati had his house severely vandalized and six hospitalized after the attack, sources have revealed. Wireless violence had been reported where ZANU-PF are attacking fellow ZANU-PF and MDC attacking fellow MDC, the Chitungwiza skirmishes 
could be seen as a repeat of the 2008 political violence. At least 400 opposition activists were abducted and killed during the 2008 presidential runoff. MDC spokesperson Obed Gutu condemned the violence. Yeah, there were disturbances that happened over the weekend. Uh, a group of Zanipia thugs set upon uh, our party cadres who were on a door-to-door uh, mobilization uh, campaign encouraging residents to go out and uh, register to vote on the biometric voter registration uh, system that is currently being uh, uh, you know, carried out in uh, Chitungiza. So, uh, that is when they were set upon by a group of volunteers of tags. Quite a good number of our youth severely beaten up. Youth called Joe Makaliati, who is also the organizing secretary for uh, Chitungiza South District in our party, was uh, Seriously injured. Zimbabwe Human Rights National Director Oke Machisa raised concern over the escalation of the political violence ahead of the 2018 polls. Normally, the people who perpetrate uh, violence, who are the culprits in causing a community disharmony, are politicians. And we want to call upon ZANU-PF, MDC, Malambo, every political party which is going to participate in the next election to refrain from causing any harm to the citizens. There is an alternative of campaigning without harming anyone. So we call upon politicians to desist from causing any political disharmony in the communities. Uh, What happened in Chitungwiza are clear indicators of what we could be having on our tables next year. So if we don't expose such human rights abuses uh, as of now, we are afraid that as we proceed towards uh, 2018, the escalation of uh, politically motivated uh, violence will reach alarming stages. Although it is alleged the perpetrators of the Chitungiza violence are well known, Zimbabwean police are yet to make any arrest. Typical uh, replay of 2008, where there was selective application of the law. ZANU-PF people attacked Jerome Makaliati by, first by dynamiting his house, and then uh, completely vandalizing the house, and uh, obliterating certain structures there. But it is uh, complained himself who is now in the police custody. ZANU-PF people have not been arrested up to this time. This is the uh, typical return to selective application of the law. Monzora revealed Kaliati was arrested when he presented himself to police to make a report. Yes, Mr. Kaliati has been arrested together with uh, the two more people. They have been remanded in custody to tomorrow. First, Mrs. Clara Paganai, uh, Lucia Ruya, uh, and uh, Mr. Kaliati are in uh, custody now. Uh, they have been remanded in custody. We are proceeding to deal with the bail application tomorrow. In Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Two days to go. To the 100th birthday of the late Reginald Oliver Tambo. Hashtag Oartambo 100.
As South Africans and the world prepare to celebrate what would have been the late ANC President Oliver Tambo's 100th birthday, many have shared memories about this African giant. Tambo's leadership and legacy are also celebrated on the African continent, where he spent time in many countries. One of them is Tanzania. Ntakwanangatani has more. Tanzania is a country that has strong relations with South Africa. When Oliver Reginald Tambo first went into exile in 1961, he set up the ANC headquarters in Tanzania and set up training for Umkonto Wesizwe cadres there. We fight to abolish the system which obtains in our country today and which concentrates almost all productive wealth in the hands of a few. Tanzania became home to many anti-apartheid activists during South Africa's oppression. Tambo worked tirelessly to establish ANC operations in Tanzania. Solomon Mashangu College was established for the children of those who were in exile. We were extremely self-sufficient. So all our food, we had a farm, um, we had daycare center, nursery, primary, high school, we had a farm. We had a construction site, um, we had um, a hospital, um, so all our needs were like this little island living in this, you know, surrounded by Tanzania. South Africa's Home Affairs Minister, Ayanda Lodlo, says youths who went into exile were inspired by Tambo's leadership in ANC missions abroad. The president served as a huge inspiration to all ANC children. Um, we were very young at that time. I joined Umkonto with Suizi, those who went to school, but for the youth of the ANC, and I think generally for the general membership of the ANC and South Africans in general too, he served as a huge inspiration. He is credited for holding the ANC together during the difficult times, a lesson to the current ANC leadership at a time when the party is facing divisions. ANC Secretary General Gwede Mantashe. His incorruptibility of our time, not only in politics but in his personal life. Number two is his constructive engagement with criticism, as we saw in Morocco. Thirdly is his unending optimism and foresight. Uh, in Kabwe, he's making this point that we don't have a crisis, we have a crisis of our success, we have a crisis of our advances. It's a crisis that forces us uh, to advance faster. Uh, and that is Oliver Tambo for you. A skillful diplomat, Tambo gained the recognition for the ANC from the Organization of African Unity and the United Nations. As companions, we pondered in silence and wonderment watching the friend and protector, Majola, visiting the newborn generation. On this occasion, the world is with us in support, guaranteeing that we shall win. Tambo's lobbying in Africa and beyond also saw apartheid being declared a crime against humanity. He also championed the international campaign for the release of Nelson Mandela and other political prisoners and for international sanctions against South Africa under apartheid. But what would Tambo have said about the current state of the ANC? That is anyone's guess, but this is what he said when he handed over the party to those who took over its leadership upon his return from exile. Author Lulu Kalinikos.
I have to quote his first speech when he returned from, from exile and he said, um, I come back bringing the movement intact, much, much bigger, and um, this is the movement that I hand over to you. Guard our special movement. His wife, Adelaide Tambo, often told stories about how she had to step in to raise their children, even working two jobs in London to make ends meet and educate their children. Son, Dali Tambo. You remember him uh, and store him in public memory. It's a sort of self-vengeance to say to all those who preceded us, all our freedom fighters and our leaders who are now up in, in heaven, that we will remember you despite their attempts to airbrush you out of history. We will remember you. Victory is in our side. Amanda. In 1984, in its January 8th statement, the African National Congress Liberation Movement, under the leadership of its president, Oliver Reginald Tambo, a strong advocate for gender equality, made a call to the progressive peoples of the world to declare the year as the year of the woman. The political situation in Togo could descend into a civil war if regional organization ECOWAS doesn't intervene. This is according to activists from a civil society movement called Africans Rising. The movement sent its delegation to Togo on a fact-finding mission recently in order to better understand the crisis facing the West African country. But days after arriving, the three-person delegation was detained by police and had their belongings confiscated. For more on this, Kumbela Mujelele spoke to Mohamed Lamin, a coordinator for Africans Rising Movement, and was part of the delegation that went to Togo. The delegation uh, went there on the 9th of, um, of October. We met with civil society, different civil society groups uh, and organizations. We met with the opposition. We met with the, the government to understand the realities on the ground. Um, as we finished the meetings with all the stakeholders, and we even went to the north side of the country where the brutalization and the killing of protesters were happening more in, in, in the Togo, uh, Togo people's struggle. So after all these meetings, uh, at 12, 12.30 a.m. on the 13th, uh, the police came into our hotel, knocked our doors, and then uh, got us arrested. I was handcuffed, Then one of my colleagues refused to open, like the, uh, the lady from Senegal, refused to open the door. They break her, break her door and enter and start talking and then uh, asked us to go to the police station, a serious crime unit of local police for interrogation and investigation. We were there for about six hours, and then later we realized that, okay, we have checked and then uh, nothing is found, uh, you're not guilty of any crime that you're causing here in Togo. Um, a lot of questions were asked around, uh, why are you here? Um, are you not inciting people? How did you enter the country? So, so a lot of things. But fortunately for us, we are all South Africans, and in West Africa, ECOWAS have pronounced severally that ECOWAS is a state of the people. That should be free movement of the people in, in ECOWAS. So, so we felt that we are with our brothers and sisters in then um, we are asked to go back and pick our passport um, because the secretary was not there at, at night when the interrogation was going. So as we went back to the hotel, we prepared for the last activity of our mission, that is the press conference, informing the press that why are we in Togo and what are the 
key top line findings that we have and then ask them to wait for the final report and the media media sure. statement. As we did that, we went back to the police station to pick our passports and new developments came in where the police started asking us to give our laptops to them for them to check on us. They also have to, they later they requested for our mobiles after the laptop check-in. They later said, okay, we need to re- do a thorough check on uh, on you guys. So we are taking all the laptops and then uh, all the mobile phones uh, with us. So they keep the mobile phones and the laptops for five days. you saying that apart from a meeting with some uh, civil society groups, on the ground. You also got a chance to meet with the government officials. What is the perspective of government officials with regards to what is currently happening in Togo, Mohammed? Yeah, the, 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 the minister in his uh, meeting with us, he kind of applauded the initiative of African Rising of coming there to Togo. Like, you know, that's what normally the government officers will pretend that they, they like you while they, they, can, they can do their own funny things. Then he said, he kind of gave us whole series, kind of uh, political history of um, President Ford's father and then when President Ford took over and all those narrations and then saying that the constitution that we are talking about, that people are talking about that uh, have been amended, uh, was not amended by Ford but was amended by Ford's father to continue as, as president. Because in 1992, the people of Togo um, protested for, for a new constitution and then the new constitution was instituted that, rest, that called for President handling it. But as, as 20, 2005, President Ford's father changed his constitution um, to allow him to run again. Uh, unfortunately, he died, and the son now is benefiting from the amendments done by his father. So people begin to claim that or uh, demand that they need to go back to the 1990 constitution that called for two term limits. So they're asking that, or kind of calling for Ford to resign immediately and leave uh, power. So that's kind of the unique uh, demand that we find out from, from the people. And then the government is saying, we need dialogue, we need to come uh, come together and talk. But people are not seeing what the government is saying, because Paul is saying he wants to go for um, until 2020. Now, since you left uh, the country, uh, pro-democracy uh, protests have continued to take place, uh, but the government doesn't seem to budge on uh, the demands that are being made by protesters. What do you think needs to be done in order to find a solution to the current political situation in Togo, Mohammed? Yeah, I think I think uh, the people's will must win at the end and must be respected. So I expect that international community, especially the ECOWAS leaders and then African Union leaders and civil societies, organizations in Africa, need to rise up and then support the people's demand. We've seen pronouncement already been made by some, some countries, like I am... The uh, day before yesterday, the, the Minister of uh, Foreign Affairs in Gambia was interviewed by writers and said, um, um, for need to resign and respect the, the will of the people. So those are the things that we expect from across leaders across the continent to demand for him to respect. Because he's what he will end up killing a lot of people. There will be genocide in, in Togo because people are really ready for change and then they are getting organized and demanding for change. So the international community, that particularly West Africa and ECOWAS and the AU and other stakeholders like the civil society need to really rise up and then protect the, the rights and the will of the people by asking for to resign immediately. That was Mohamed Lamin, coordinator of Africans Rising Movement, on the line from Dakar in Senegal, speaking to Channel Africa's reporter, Kumbele Munjelele.
Meanwhile, South Africa's President Jacob Zuma and his Senegalese counterpart Meki Sall have committed themselves to working together to pursue peace, stability and economic development on the African continent. The relationship between the two countries dates back to the years of the liberation struggle. The two leaders met at Danehays in Cape Town to discuss various issues and also signed bilateral agreements. President Zuma says they've agreed that peace and stability are vital for the continent to flourish. Lula Mamakia has more. The Senegalese president, Mekisol, is on a one-day state visit to the country. He was welcomed with pomp and ceremony at Tainais in Cape Town. President Sol is in the country following President Jacob Zuma's visit to Senegal in October 2013. The two leaders reviewed bilateral relations between the two countries and also reviewed progress made while also exploring new areas of cooperation. A memorandum of understanding on tourism was also signed. President Zuma explains. We welcome this memorandum of understanding which will foster cooperation and the sharing of expertise in exchange of tourism information, tourism promotion, and partnership investments in the sector. The two leaders also discussed issues around peace and stability. President Zuma says they have committed themselves to working towards a peaceful continent. We therefore condemn in the strongest possible terms the extremist and terrorist activities wherever they occur, while committing to the (coughs) continental integration processes and implementation of AU's Agenda 2063, we hold a strong view on the necessity to maintain the autonomy of the NEPAD, Heads of State and Government Orientation Committee. On the economic front, the two leaders have encouraged investment in both countries. A South Africa-Senegal business forum will also be held to cement economic ties between the two countries. President Zuma said the visit by the Senegalese president coincides with celebrations of the life and legacy of O.R. Tambo, Lula Mamaja in parliament. At 7.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, the Supreme Court in Kenya will hold a last-minute hearing to decide whether to rerun the country's presidential election or not. SADC and the Great Lakes region countries are expected to lobby against cutting down the United Nations peacekeeping mission in the DRC, known as MONUSCO. And two Republican senators have made strong public attacks on U.S. President Donald Trump, accusing him of damaging American democracy and lowering the country's standing abroad. Those are the stories making headlines.
South Africa's President Jacob Zuma's executive powers took center stage at the Pretoria High Court in the so-called state capture review case. Lawyers representing President Zuma argued that he has exclusive powers to establish commissions of inquiry while on the other side, opposition parties' lawyers and that of the public protector insist that such powers can be fettered. The president is challenging remedial actions of the public protector state of capture report on grounds that she does not have powers to instruct the head of state. Former public protector Tulima Donsela recommended President Zuma establish a commission of inquiry to be headed by a judge to further investigate allegations of state capture. Amos Pajo has more. President Zuma's lawyer Ishmael Semenya was the first to address the court. He told the court that the public protector is hopelessly mistaken to think that she can dictate to the president. Semenya says the president's powers are clearly stipulated in the constitution and that the remedial actions are unlawful. And we make the obvious statement that this power is quintessentially an executive power. It is an executive power that only the president according to the constitution can exercise and to exercise it alone without any necessary concurrence with the members of the executive. Apart from offending the separation of powers doctrine, she is misallocating legislative powers under the constitution and, and the public protectors to a commission of inquiry. However, the public protector's lawyer advocate Maleka told the court that there is no rational basis to dismiss or set aside the remedial actions. He says Madon merely recommended a commission of inquiry because she did not have capacity and resources to institute full-scale investigation into state capture. The public protector did investigate that conduct. What she did not do is to make conclusive findings of fact based on what she has investigated. Because she did not have the necessary resources, the necessary capacity, and the necessary funds to make conclusive findings of fact. The court knows that in her affidavit, she says to properly do justice to those investigations, you would require something in the order of 31 million rand. She was given 1.5 million rand. Lawyer representing the economic freedom fighters in the case, Tembeka Ngugai Dobi, pleaded with the court not to allow President Zuma to undo the undertaking he made in Parliament that he will establish the inquiry as per the recommendation of the public protector. He says at the time the president knew that the review proceedings had commenced. Ngugai Dobi says the president's powers can be fettered. If one actually tries to find what is the most rational way in which the admitted necessity for the Commission of Inquiry could have been implemented. It is impossible to conceive of a rational appointment of this Commission of Inquiry being made by the very same person who is completely without any constraint, being made by the very same person who is the subject of the investigation. Which is why we open our submissions by the Latin maxim, Nemo Yudevs in Sua Causa. No one can be a judge in its own cause. He wants to be everything. So we want to say that if the principle of legality, particularly the constraint about rationality, is to be taken seriously, what it means in this case is that the president's admitted exercise of the power must take place in a constrained environment, particularly constrained by the principle of rationality. These sentiments were also advanced by Dalim Pofu, who represented Congress of the People and the United Democratic Movement. This idea, that very, very mistaken idea, that 
if power is exclusive, therefore it means that it's unfettered. That is absolutely uh, not the case. We don't have an absolute monarchy. People colloquially use the word prerogative uh, in the streets. That's fine. It has no place in the constitutional scheme. There is no such thing as a prerogative. A prerogative is what's based on the divine right of rule of queens and kings to rule because apparently they are second only to God. But in a constitutional state, nobody, whether you are the president, the public protector, whoever, can exercise unfettered powers. The powers go with a duty. At the minimum, they go with the duty of legality. Mpof will this morning continue with arguments as well as lawyers representing the Democratic Alliance. This case has been set down up to tomorrow. I'm Amos Power in Pretoria. Economists in South Africa say there could be indications from the mini-budget today that taxes might go up in the new financial year. Economists warn that government expenditure is stretched and does not have money in its fiscus to meet the country's financial obligations. Standard Bank Chief Economist Gulam Balam says they have to get their money from somewhere. Amina Akram compiled this report. There could be bad news for cash-strapped consumers if government has its way and increases taxes next year. Finance Minister Malusi Gigaba will this week table his first mini-budget, which will give an indication of what to expect in government's income and expenditure budget in February next year. Standard Bank Chief Economist Gulam Balim. October is not typically the occasion for injecting new taxes into the system. So we don't think there is going to be any adjustments at this stage. However, there could be early indications of the taxes that are going to be impacted. And at this stage, I would speculate that personal income tax is again going to be in the crosshairs and the higher income individuals, including middle income earners for that matter, can anticipate further weight on their incomes. Independent tax consultant, David Clegg agrees. The, the big thing to remember is that the mini-budget has never traditionally been a time when the taxes are changed. And even if they did announce any specific changes, they, they wouldn't do anything about them until the main budget in, in February, March. Uh, but they may be, well give an indication that they're going to have a look at increasing this rate or that rate in some shape or form um, you know, in the main budget. Balim believes there could also be increases in dividend taxes. We also think, for example, that uh, they may look at dividend taxes, even though the percentage share of earnings from dividends has increased in the last budget, that again could be a function of additional burden in the February statement. Maybe the time, of course, to say they bite the bullet and say, OK, we've got to come to the party and we're going to increase the rate of VAT. That's also a possibility. I mean, it's, been, it's not happened now for um, an awfully long time. That would change a whole lot of things. But, of course, it's politically very unpopular. For them to do that would be, would be political dynamite. Meanwhile, in a statement this week, Business Unity South Africa Busa says further tax increases may not be an option as they will strifle the economy. It has urged government to implement more cost containment as the country has simply run out of space to increase taxes. I am Amina Akram in Johannesburg.
Attention to our listeners. From the 30th of October 2017, the first hour of Africa Digest will not be broadcast on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. The 1700-hour show will only be found on shortwave and online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Please note that this only applies to the 1700-hour Central African Time show. The 1900-hour Central African Time program will be back on all the platforms. Channel Africa, giving you an African perspective. Senior officials have marked United Nations Day yesterday at the organization's headquarters in New York with a call to advance peace, sustainable development and human rights. The 24th of October is the day in 1945 when the UN Charter entered into force. Secretary General Antonio Guterres is marking the day at the UN peacekeeping mission in the Central African Republic called on humanity to transcend their differences to transform the world for the future, while his deputy Amina Mohammed paid tribute to the men and women of the organization who give real meaning to the values and ideals of the global body. Show and Bryce Peace has more. It was 72 years ago that the UN Charter came into force. A foundational treaty to which all 193 member states are today bound by its articles. Values that are today under strain in a world increasingly viewed as a messy place, as the UN's Deputy Secretary General Amina Mohammed explained. We see rising tensions over nuclear weapons, growing intolerance and escalating impacts of climate change. All of these exacerbating poverty and conflicts affecting millions of people. But I have hope in our humanity, and my hope is anchored in two things. First, that it is in our DNA, in the words of our charter, in the universal values of our institution, and in the mission of our organization to advance peace, sustainable development, and human rights. These are the three strands of our DNA. Mohammed lauded the role of UN staff, whether in New York or in conflict theatres around the world. Since the beginning of the year, 67 peacekeepers have died in the line of duty, 12 in the Central African Republic alone, where the Secretary General will mark the day. The women and the men of the United Nations working around the world and around the clock to give those words real meaning, to make a real difference in people's lives and to leave no one behind. Yes, we know all of the challenges, we know the limitations, but you get up each and every day to inch our world closer to peace and justice and dignity for all. Your work is to close the gap between our reality and the aspirations of 7.6 billion people. General Assembly President Miroslav Lajcik referred to challenges that have changed over time, from peace and security, the challenges of climate change and economic development but called on member states to display joint resolve in confronting them. While each country is sovereign and independent, we cannot afford unilateralist approaches that threaten to unravel the fabric of global security, development and harmony. The United Nations remains the best forum for dialogue to achieve these goals. Each member state must reinforce its commitment to abide by the Charter. This enables the organizations to strengthen its role as the main mechanism for joint action to address global challenges.
urging greater human dignity as a mechanism to build a more peaceful, sustainable, and just world. I'm Sherman Ricebees in New York. Attention to our listeners. From the 30th of October 2017, the first hour of Africa Digest will not be broadcast on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. The 1700-hours show will only be found on shortwave and online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Please note that this only applies to the 1700-hours Central African Time show. The 1900-hour Central African Time program will be back on all the platforms. Channel Africa, giving you an African perspective. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English. Giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalun Yenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective. Our economics update up next with Tabisolohoko. Thanks, Balungile. South African Finance Minister Malusi Kigaba may announce additional tax policies to make up the budget shortfall when he delivers his medium-term budget policy statement this afternoon. Experts say indications are that tax collections are from 2017-18 are at least 13 million U.S. dollars less than the target. There are expectations that Kigaba may consider proposals of the Davies Tax Committee, which has called for value-added tax increase. But experts say government has limited options, as some taxes may result in unintended consequences. Tsebomuwai reports. Minister Malusikigaba is under pressure to prove that the country's financial well-being is his only priority. The minister is presenting his first mid-term budget speech after replacing the well-respected Bravin Godan. Beyond political pressure, he has to deal with declining revenues, dysfunctional SOEs, and an economy that's refusing to resuscitate. Following the recent energy-focused cabinet reshuffle, observers will be curious to hear if Kigaba touches on nuclear plans. 
Nigeria's parliament plans to vote a motion of uh, motion to investigate the use of 1.2 million US dollars in loans taken by telecoms firm Etisal Nigeria now called Nine Mobile. The motion if passed would mandate a Senate committee on banking and national security to handle the investigation which it says would seek to forestall the impact of the debt crisis on foreign investment and hold defaulting parties liable. The implementation of the laws requiring households and commercial buildings to have solar hot water equipment has seen a surge in the number of firms marketing the products in Kenya. This has seen a segment of the industry now raise fears that Kenyans are being exposed to inferior and even substandard products. The Energy Regulatory Commission started the implementation of rules that require landlords owning buildings that consume above 100 litres of water daily to install solar water heating systems this year. The Zambia Institute of Chartered Accountants has launched a property fund to provide unit holders with stable cash distributions from investments in the diversified portfolio as one way of sustaining itself in the long term. Zika's president, Joseph Kazilimani, explained that the fund was a sub-fund under the umbrella of Equity Capital Resource Unit Trust, which is an authorized collective investment scheme under Section 121 of the Securities and Exchange Commission Act number 41 of 2016. Kazilimani says that the fund was established with the principal investment objective of owning and investing in a diversified portfolio of income-producing real estate in Zambia with high growth potential. Nigeria is targeting oil production of 1.8 million barrels per day by early next year, but that will be the ceiling to company to company or rather to comply with OPEC targets. Oil Minister Emmanuel Ibekachikwi also told reporters at an oil conference in Cape Town, South Africa, that oil prices were encouraging, but that OPEC, of which it is a member, was not ruling out further cuts. Nigeria currently produces 1.6 to 1.7 million barrels per day. The U.S. dollar trades at 13.72 in South Africa. It's at 10.28 in Botswana and at 9.80 in Zambia. It's also trading at 75 pence to the British pound, 85 cents to the euro. Gold, $1,273. Platinum, $915 an ounce. The price of brand crude oil is at $58.40 a barrel. I'm Tabisolo Hoko for Channel Africa. Our sports update up next was Figile Lingwati.
We begin with football news. The Nigerian Football Federation, NFF, has announced that the Super Eagles of Nigeria will take on South American giants Argentina in an international friendly next month. The encounter is scheduled to take place at the Krasnodar Arena Stadium in Russian city of Krasnodar on the 14th of November. Dr. Mohamed Sanusi, the NFF General Secretary, revealed at the weekend that Nearly all arrangements have been concluded with regards to the big match, subject to approval by World Football Ruling Body FIFA and agreeable flight arrangements. Before facing Argentina, Nigeria will take on Algeria's Desert Foxes in the last match of the 2018 FIFA World Cup qualification, CAF Group B, on the 10th. The match is set to take place at the Stadium Mohamed Hamloui in Constantine in Algeria. Nigeria have already qualified for the 2018 World Cup as Group B winners. And South African Premiership side, Super Sports United coach Eric Tinkler says he's hoping to be the third time lucky when he plays in his third CAF Interclub competition final next month. Tinkler has already been to the CAF Champions League final as an assistant coach, then also reached the final of the Confederations Cup as a head coach both with previous team Orlando Pirates. This time, Tinkler guided United to their first continental competition just a few months after taking over as head coach. Tingler, the former Bafana Bafana midfielder, says hard work still lies ahead when they face one of Africa's successful clubs, TP Mazembe, from the Democratic Republic of Congo. I think I've said it publicly many, many times. I think this is where you really compare yourself to your peers is when you win these competitions, Confederations Cup, Champions League. And obviously as a coach, that's where I want to see myself, is winning these big competitions, because I think that's where you get recognized. So for me, it's very, very important for us to win this. And yes, like I said before, I've tasted it, but on the losing side. Super Sports United captain Dean Furman says hard work has finally paid off after the players sacrificed their off-season to ensure they succeed in their dream of lifting the Confederations Cup. This isn't just about we went and put in a great performance the other night, but this has been a journey that 35 of us have been on for 10 months now. And this is amazing and it's great to come back to our fans and to, to all the media here today. But for us, the job's not done. There's another huge hurdle in front of us. But with this team, we are so desperate for success, to be lifting trophies, to put that star on our journey. And uh, we won't stop until we've got it. The torch for the Pyongyang 2018 Winter Olympics was lit in ancient Olympia using the backup flame from the dress rehearsal due to rainy weather, kicking off the countdown for the first winter games in Asia outside Japan. The run-up to the February the 9th to the 25th Olympics has been overshadowed by the escalating crisis on the Korean Peninsula triggered by North Korea's nuclear and ballistic missile test. Here is Games Chief Lee Hee Byom. Our dream of hosting the Olympic Winter Games has now become a reality. Korea is only the second Asian nation to have the honor of hosting the Winter Games. We want the international community to understand that we, are com- we have committed to hosting safe and secure of Olympic Winter Games. The short ceremony inside the stadium used during the ancient Greek Olympics was also attended by South Korean Prime Minister Lina Kion. IOC President Thomas Bach says the Olympic Games are sacred and universal. The Olympic Games are universal. They stand above and beyond all the differences that divide us. The Olympic Games have the power to unite humanity 
in all its diversity. The Olympic Games uh, Pyeongchang 2018 will show the world that our values of a shared humanity are stronger than all the forces that want to divide us. The flame will arrive in South Korea on the 1st of November for the start of the domestic touch relay as organizers look to boost local enthusiasm amid low ticket sales. That's a Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Taking us to the top of our folding news and another hour of Africa Rise and Shine on the frequency 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa is Ramagaza's choice. <laughs> 